Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. There are three open playoff spots left. Can somebody grab one of those today? And at NASCAR's fastest track, it's time to bring the action. Brad Keselowski has taken off 210 miles an hour, the over a football field a second. The pit opportunity, you know, do you come down? New tires are worth speed here, but you go a lap down. This is huge. Casey Kane, and look at that Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. Daniel Suarez in the 19 was involved as well. Right front tires down. The caution will change everything. Track position versus tires. I think I'm going to have to take track position. We got a caution. Michael McDowell, Paul Menard. Lee, I told you, you mentioned that overtime line. Larson's trying to split him. He's in between the two Toyotas. He bounces off Martin Truex Jr. Kyle Larson with a blinding restart. Kyle Larson coming to the line with Truex chasing. Will win his third time in a row here in Michigan. The Toyota looked great heading into the final restart, but in the end, Chevrolet made it to victory lane. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Carol Lomano joined by three drivers today who know a great restart when they see one. Brian Vickers, Parker Quiggerman, and, of course, our own Jeff Burton. Jeff, how would you describe what Kyle Larson did on Sunday? It was, it was great. I mean, you know, we, the word great gets overused, but in this case, uh, he did everything right, and he had to do everything right. He didn't have the best race car, but he put himself in, in a position to win that race with that last restart. Yeah, he really did. I mean, the, the moves that he made, you, you see it, especially from that overhead cam. I mean, the aggressiveness of it, I just loved it. He was out for blood. He was out to win that race or bring back the steering wheel. I mean, he nearly clipped three cars trying to get to the bottom, coming from fourth place to first. Coming in this weekend, there was a lot of chatter that Toyota was kind of running away with everything. But Ford and Chevy did not get the memo at their home backyard <laughs> race because obviously a Ford on the pole and a Chevy wins. And it looked like those two manufacturers were more than on par with Toyota throughout the race. We'll and, of course, Larson made the difference at the end. We'll discuss those comments from Brad Kozlowski a little bit later in the show. But first, let's take a quick look back at some of the key moments from the race. It's a nice day at Michigan International Speedway. I love those aerial shots. So nice. Brad Kozlowski in the two. Your pole winner, he will start first. And he beat his teammate, Joey Logano, into turn one and took the lead, Parker. Yeah, he got a monster start here. Would clear himself ahead of Joey Logano. And as we said before, coming into this race, he didn't feel like they had the speed in those Team Penske Fords. But that would not be the case in stage one as he drove away from the field. Led all the laps, and Kevin Harvick gave him a little run for his money, was never able to get beside him. He would go on to win that stage. Nobody could catch Kislowski. He cruised to an easy stage one victory, and then he took the inside lane after regaining the lead here. Well, what's interesting, he had to start on the inside. He was in second. He regained the lead. What was really impressive and showed his dominance at the beginning of this race was taking the lead from the inside. That is a very hard thing to do at Michigan. Martin Truex Jr. had to pit Jeff due to tire problems. Turned out to be a blessing in disguise, though. Sometimes you got to be a little lucky. They pitted. They were the first ones on pit road with that tire problem. That put them on newer, newer tires sooner. 
that ultimately gave him the lead when everybody else had to pit. He goes on to get another stage win. So a stage two victory for Martin Truex Jr. He's had a number of those. And then on lap 139, Casey Kane and Daniel Suarez getting tangled up on the backstretch. Yeah, Casey would just sort of clear himself there as he tried to go under the 19. The 19 was going backwards, suffering a tight condition as you see them get hard into the outside wall off of turn two. Casey might have cleared himself, maybe got loose, undecided. Furniture were racing at the front for most of the day. Martin Truex Jr. beating his teammate here, Eric Jones, into turn one. Yeah, I mean, the second half of this race was mostly dominated by Martin Truex. You see it here on the restart. I mean, that is a clean restart. He was really getting uh, to the start-finish line really well in turn one. And some trouble, though, for Joey Logano. Yeah, you see here, uh, he had the similar problem to the 21. His teammate, uh, the right front door was bent up, maybe from a bump. Uh, interesting, uh, you don't see that very often. And now, Jeff, some decisions to make. Yeah, tough decisions. Uh, track position or, or tires, which is the most important. You can see right there, Kyle Larson, old pit road taking tires, ultimately turned out to be the right decision. And it looked, Parker, like Martin Truex Jr. was going to be in good shape here. Yeah, he nails this restart, easily beats his teammate, Eric Jones, down to turn one. And from this point on, it looked like he had this in the bag, but it wasn't to be as Mike McDowell and Paul Menard get together off of turn two. Actually, Michael Dow does a great job here of keeping that 95 car out of the wall, and this would set us up for overtime. Overtime, here we come. So, as you see here, Martin actually gets a good restart relative to second place, but not nearly as good of a restart as Kyle Larson. And, and, and I don't want to take anything away from Kyle. He did an incredible job on this restart, but we've got to give some credit to his crew. The call to come in and get four tires and go back and lose the track position. The four tires won at the end. He had 14 laps on his tires. The 78 had 41 laps, and as you can tell, it paid dividends. Without question, Kyle did his part, and uh, you'll see here in the celebration, no one was more excited about that than his car owner, <laughs> Chip Ganassi. Those are valuable employees, Chip. Please be careful. Kyle Larson, after finding himself in a furniture row sandwich, is supposed to speak, uh, holding on for the lead, getting his third consecutive Michigan victory. It is the restart that every driver dreams of, and he made it happen. He outdueled. Martin Truex Jr. and Eric Jones gets the win at Michigan. Ryan Newman and Trevor Bain rounding out the top five at the finish. Dale Earnhardt Jr. finishing 14th in his final cup start at Michigan. And Matt Kenseth falling from third all the way back to 24th on that final restart, losing a chance to substantially add to his lead over Clint Boyer, who finished 23rd. More on that later as well. In the end, it was the man of the hour, Kyle Larson, and our Rutledge Woods spoke to him after the win. Kyle Larson burning it down at the start-finish line, third in a row here at Michigan. That restart was everything. Kyle, how did you do that? I have no idea. Uh, I was running a few options through my head and, and of what to do if I got a good jump, and uh, that was one of them, uh, and it worked out perfect. So I can't believe it happened. Uh, we were struggling all day. Definitely not as good as we were the last two times we won here, but um, we persevered, and had the great or had some good resources at the end. What do you want to say to your fans right now? This is uh, oh. Chip Ganassi getting in there. Just clocked me in the head right. there. Uh, I want to thank him for one for for I mean finding me in 2011, bringing me up from USAC ranks to to race for him. Uh, I want to thank all my fans as well. This has been an incredible week for me. Uh, to be able to go run the Knox Nationals yesterday, run second to Donnie Schatz, and then come here and, and win and, and beat Martin Truex, who is the Donnie Schatz right now. So um, definitely a week I'll never forget. 
you can really feel what the weekend meant. And with the victory, Larson leaving Michigan with his third one of the season and 18 playoff points. So he's now second in the playoff standings right behind Martin Truex Jr. Three playoff spots remain open with three races left in the regular season. So Brian offered his thoughts, Jeff, on this final restart. I'd like to take one more look at it and have you offer yours just how he was able to get this done. Well, it all starts at the initial part of the restart because Kyle Larson timed everything just right. So right here as he gets into the restart zone, he has momentum on his side. He actually pushes Martin Truex and gets the rear tires off the ground, and that hurts the drive for Martin Truex. Now he turns left, and now he's dodging and doing everything he can to make this pass. But it all started by getting that momentum, by timing the restart, and actually giving the 78 a little bit of a shot. When he gave him that shot, that hurt his speed. And... That was enough to get alongside of him. But once you get alongside of him, now you can pull him back with your dragging him back because you're side by side. And then, as we mentioned, he had fresher tires and made that bottom work. So the great restart to me wasn't what happened in the middle of one and two. It was happened well before they got to the start finish line and creating that momentum and then understanding what to do with it. You know, something else I just thought about. You know, if you remember that caution, they put speedy dry down all the way through turn one and two. And I can tell you as a driver, I've been in that position where you're rolling off into turn one on fresh speedy dry and you have no idea how it's going to feel. I mean, I just love, I mean, the the zero hesitation out of Kyle Larson to dive to the bottom lane, right to the speedy dry, right to where the oil is and just hope it sticks. I mean, again, it just shows the level of confidence and commitment he had going into that restart. He goes for it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And the other thing to me that Jeff kind of described, and I think, you know, we should explain a little bit is that. He kind of called Martin Truex Jr. out on what he was doing. What I mean by that is Martin Truex Jr. went late in the box, and he forced Martin Truex Jr.'s hand by going and nailing him in the rear bumper the way he did. And he talked about it after in the media center where he said, you know, I went to push him so I could trick him into thinking I was going to push him, and then I dived the inside and was able to dump the air on his rear spoiler. And then that crazy move right there where he clears himself to the bottom is just incredible that he didn't get turned at that point. But it was that sort of where he called out the 78 and what he was doing and didn't let him outthink the 42 and that's what he really forced the hand of the 78 and was able to get that run that he got it's just it's one of those things those rare times whereas in the car everything you do is right and it just everything went in his favor and ended up in victory lane well, chip ganassi was beside himself as we just saw <laughs> jeff and i'm trying to think how to put this delicately he has a very large hand and his driver will first first this and top the fifth box where he absolutely goes to town but jeff his driver is a very valuable commodity right now, and he's on the smaller side. I mean, does Chip need to be a little bit more careful? What's he thinking when he watches this tape, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, I think we decided earlier he needs to fight in his own weight class because he's clearly <laughs> out of his weight class. But, you know, I, I, listen, what I love so much about that is that Chip Ganassi was excited not because of a business move, not because, you know, Kyle Larson pulled off a pass that might help him sell sponsorship, All of that, it was the racer in Chip Ganassi that we saw. It was the fact that he went down to the USAC ranks, found a young driver, gave him a shot. Now he's delivering on what Chip thought he could do. And that excitement is of the racer. It's not business guy Chip Ganassi. It's racer Chip Ganassi sitting there as a race fan, just like we were sitting there watching it. Obviously, he's more invested. But that's what I love about that emotion. It is when you race for a living and you have a passion for racing, and you, your driver pulls off something like that, it's pure exuberance. It's what you live for. It's what Kyle Larson lives for. He was cheering before the checker flag was even out. Those are the things that when you're in racing, that's what wakes you up in the morning, pulling that late race restart off. 
And, and that's what was so cool about Chip Ganassi walking out onto the racetrack to celebrate with, with his driver because he brought that driver from a place where not many people knew who he was. And now here he is, a championship contender. That's a lot to celebrate. The reaction really got us thinking about some of the other memorable reactions that we've seen so far this season. So we have a poll question for you today. Which is the most memorable winner's reaction in the Monster Energy Cup Series this season? Was it Tony Gibson? I absolutely love this reaction in his hometown <laughs> right after Kurt Busch won the Daytona 500. <laughs> I mean, I think this is my favorite right off the bat. Right we haven't the even box. started. This is a strong contender. Ricky Stenhouse, after he won the July uh, Daytona race, how can we forget this? Thank you for coming out here, everybody in NASCAR. Woo, America, 1776, we are the champs. <laughs> it's like he hasn't hesitated. Remember America. when he was going to come up with this one, also a very strong contender. Uh, Denny Hamlin, his aversion to the lobster after winning at Loudon. That's a 44-pound catch right there, straight off the coast of Maine. <laughs> but he knocks his pregnant girlfriend and his child out of the way. Didn't want to touch it. And then, uh, on a much different note, at Watkins Glen, Cole Pern's response, uh, more emotional. The win with Martin Truex Jr. just days after his closest friend from childhood, Jacob Damon, uh, passed suddenly right before the race. Uh, yesterday, Chip Ganassi, though, just yeah. an explosion of emotion. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to bias the fans, but I got to tell you. I mean, n number. I, I'm going with Chip on number one. It, it just, I mean, for a guy that's won this many races in his career to be this excited, I just love to see it. This is what I love. This is what the season has yeah. been. Moment after moment after moment. Whether it's stages or new winners, it's been incredible. So go to NBCSports.com/slash/NASCARVote. You can cast your vote. We're going to update you just a little later on um, in the show. Martin. Truex Jr. was able to rein it in, control his emotions, <laughs> uh, so to speak, in that final restart on Sunday. Could not hold off Kyle Larson. Let's play for you what Truex said right after. What goes through the mind, though, Martin, when you're having the dominant run like that and then the caution comes out with a few laps to go? What, what, what processes in your mind? It's typical. You just, I mean, it happens. You never know. I mean, there was, you know, there was no debris on the racetrack that I seen when that first one came out. And then, you know, cautions breed cautions at the end of these things. So. You know, we were, we were on cruise control until that last one, and then, you know, the red flag is really what hurt us. I think had it stayed under yellow, we'd have been fine. Just uh, everything got cold, and I just couldn't get enough heat in my tires. So that's part of the deal, man. That's how it goes. The double-file restarts are really tricky. You can you can be here all nine of them, and the 10th one counts for the win. Sometimes you don't get it, and today just, uh, yeah, it wasn't our day. So, we'll, like I said, we'll move on, and uh, we'll keep working on it. So, Brian, translate uh, this for us as a driver. His tires getting cold, the red yeah. flag seemingly cost him a win. Is this something that makes sense to you? Was was everybody's tires cold at that well, point? Well, to a certain extent, look, I mean, everybody's tires are going to cool down some, right? And and how, how much heat can you get in them? What kind of air pressures are you running? I mean, Martin also alluded to it, I think, in another interview, that he had a long-run car. It took him a few laps to come in. So that's only going to be exacerbated on a late restart with cold, with older tires. you got to remember, you know, he had 41 laps on his tires. The 42 had 14 laps on his tires. So that also plays a big role in how much heat you really need or want in those tires to make them work. These tires really want to operate at a very high temperature. The other thing I, I, when I, I saw in that was, was, a, was a sense of confidence. I mean, he was disappointed he lost, but a sense of confidence. He just owned it. He said, you know what? I didn't get the heat in my tires. I messed up, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we lost the race. And, and that just shows me where he's at as a driver. 
And that tells me that the rest of these guys better be concerned. But is it his job to get the heat in the tires? I mean, he took responsibility, yeah. which is, of course, the right call. But I... Yeah, so the way you do that is yeah. we explain how you get heat in them. So when you see the drivers going back and forth, back and forth under the caution, that's clean off the tires. They'll start spinning the rear tires by nailing the throttle. That's clean off the rears. It's heating them up. And that's all the things you do to get ready to anticipate the restart. And so sometimes a driver nails it and you feel like everything I did was perfect. And sometimes in Martin Truex Jr.'s case, he felt like maybe I could have done more to heat him up. I could have spun the tires more and got them right in the optimal position. So when he nailed the throttle, the grip was there. I'm going to say one thing real quick, too. The reality is compared to the, everyone else in the field on old tires, he got an excellent restart. It was just that the 42 got an even better one, and he had fresh rubber. He also well now has 35 playoff points at this point. Yeah. I think he's okay, but still uh, disappointing to lose. We've got a lot of ground to cover here on NASCAR America. Coming up, we're going to discuss this bubble battle that's happening between Matt Kenseth and Clint Boyer and how that final restart really played a pivotal role in the race for the final playoff spot. Sunday's win at Michigan capped it off a very big week for Kyle Larson. However, uh, that would not have been possible without first getting an okay from the boss man, Chip Ganassi. We're going to hear from Brad Kozlowski and how he did not back down from his critical comments toward Toyota at Michigan. And we will also check in on the exciting race for Rookie of the Year between Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones. All that and more ahead. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by New Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. Verizon IndyCar Series is right here on NBCSN. Four races left. IndyCar's best facing three tough turns and one enormously big challenge at the Tricky Triangle. It's the Pocono IndyCar 500. That's Sunday at 2.30 Eastern right here on NBCSN. So as we continue to recap a very busy Sunday, let's go ahead and check in with the reporters who covered Pit Road at Michigan, our trio on the wall. Uh, it seems to me like Bristol came a week early because we had a lot of contact at the end, a lot of mad drivers. <laughs> great point, or was Dave. it just me, Kelly? I don't know. No, no, definitely all the excitement coming right there at the end of this race. How about that restart, the final one by Kyle Larson to make it three in a row? And I was talking to his crew chief, Chad Johnston, um, earlier in the day. He said, look, I would think, I think even he'd tell you that's his strongest suit. So I put him against anybody in a late race restart. And sure enough, that's what got them the, to victory lane. And then late race restart was a little bit controversial to some drivers because I had a lot of them, Marty, who were talking about the backstretch hadn't been cleaned off. And I know Matt Kenseth was one who got in some gravel and couldn't contain control in his race car and then fell way back by the finish. I'm thinking of all those guys on the bubble, Dave, who just had issues. You look at Clint Boyer, you look at Joey Logano, you look at Matt Kenseth. I mean, they all had issues some at some point at Michigan and it really is going to change the landscape. You know, I mean, Matt Kenseth was looking like he was going to be in a position. You had him all day long where he was going to make a major gain and said he winds up losing points. Clint Boyer had two speeding penalties on pit road, then had a right front problem and uh, had a right front go down. So they had, they had all kinds of issues. So it, it, this, this, this bubble continues to get more interesting every week. I mean, these guys just can't seem to make a leap and they're trying so hard. You look at Joey Logano, thought he was going to be good at Michigan, qualified second, and they just did not have a, a day that was what they were looking for. So he goes to Bristol next week, hoping that he can finally get the victory lane for real in 2017. As Marty said, all these guys on the bubble, so many of them had issues, but that wasn't the case for Chase. It wasn't the finish he'd like. He'd come in with three straight runner-up finishes here. I came away eighth today, so not what he would have hoped for, but in the end, considering what happened to the other bubble guys, I think he'll take those points and run. 
And I look at the two Michigan guys, you know, Brad Kozlowski had the dominant car in the first half of the race, really fell off in the second half of the race. I think they leave here upset, really feeling like they kind of missed the mark, like they missed their shot to be able to win at his home racetrack. Meanwhile, the 21-year-old Eric Jones right. winds up having a career day. He winds up third, a very impressive day for him considering how they've run better, but they mm -hmm. finally finished a weekend. That's one thing he told me coming into the weekend. We have to execute and finish a race. They've now done that, and they're very good at Bristol, so don't count them out. Now we have to execute and finish this thought. Uh, <laughs> this was the Irish Hills. We'll see what happens next week at Thunder Valley. So Marty mentioned the bubble drivers. That really is what these next three races are mostly about. Kenseth with the opportunity to put some daylight between himself and Clint Boyer. So that gap growing from 28 points to 31. But Boyer definitely still within striking distance, Jeff. I think many of us were wondering at the time, though, what happened to Matt Kenseth at the end of that race? Well, he, on the last restart, he was in the place where nobody wants to be, and that was on the inside, and things just didn't work out for him. Actually, Kyle Larson's great restart hurt, hurt Matt Kenseth. So if you look at Matt Kenseth restarting in third. He actually gets a good start. He gets beside the 77 of Eric Jones, but when he enters turn three, Kyle Larson moves down. That takes the air off the 20. The 77 on the outside takes the air off the 20. Now the 24 gets into the back of the 20, and now he's just reeling backwards trying to keep his speed, ends up getting in the wall, and ends up cutting his tire and finishes essentially the last car on the lead lap. So in one lap, you go from having a chance to put 20 points on Matt Kenseth, and instead you actually give a point up. So uh, that's a huge swing. And, you know, I think something that a lot of people have forgotten, to keep, people keep thinking, well, 30-some points, that's a lot of points. But remember, if you have a problem early in the race and you're not earning points in the first stage, you're not earning points in the second stage, and you're not earning points for the rest of the race – that's a lot of points you can give up. So the advantage that Matt Kenseth has over Clint Boyer is not a big number. It can be a race in one race. Jeff, just real quick, you mentioned how this, the uh, basically Kyle Larson coming in front of the 20 affected him. But when you look at that, it's almost like he checked up and that killed his momentum in a lot of ways, right? Like, in, it, as you yeah. know, in a restart, you need to carry that positive momentum because he had that good restart. But when he gets that point where he goes into turn one and the 42 comes across his nose as he gets right to the entry up here, that, once you lift there, that you're yeah. done. You're a sitting duck. Well, I can tell yeah, you right why there. he probably checked up is because he was three wide on the bottom in Michigan. And that's, <laughs> that's not a good place to be. That's never where you want to be. <laughs> well, and listen, that's, that's part of the conversation, too. It's like, you know, we want drivers to be pushing the, ed, pushing the limit all the time. But when you have Clint Boyer down, yeah. do you then change gears and say, okay, I got to find a way on the bottom to restart and finish fourth? finish fifth, finish sixth, or do I try to find a way to win the race? That's a difficult spot to be in, and I think, Parker, you, you made a great point. I think that some of that's what happened. I think Matt Kenneth got a great restart, being aggressive, trying to make something happen. Kyle Larson turns left. He's like, I can't wreck. I'm in a good point position. Checks up. Boom, boom, boom. A series of events happen. But that's racing. I mean, that's, yep. that's what you do. And, and, and anything other than, than Matt giving 100%, for me to sit here today and say, well, if I was Matt Kenseth, I would have – that's crazy. You've got to go do what you think gives yeah. you your best shot. And you just go. this one didn't work out. That's right. Yeah. You just got to go. Three Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I was going to say three races left in the regular season to see how this is all going to unfold. In the meantime, we'll go back to our race winner when we come back. He got some permission from team owner Chip Massey to compete in the Knoxville Nationals. And Larson thanking him in the best way possible by winning at Michigan. So we'll recap Kyle Larson's busy week when we come back.
Since 1954, STP has been on the leading edge of performance, helping engines run better longer. For the latest info on NASCAR, visit NBCSports.com slash Inside the Garage. As we welcome you back, just a quick reminder that this week's guest at the NASCAR Hall of Fame is veteran Ryan Newman. He is in the playoffs after his win earlier in the year at Phoenix, and he's going to join us for a conversation. That's going to be a lot of fun. Newman drives the 31 Chevrolet, of course, for Richard Childress Racing. He is one of seven Chevy drivers who are currently in the playoffs, and that is compared to five Ford drivers in the playoffs and four Toyotas. Kyle Larson, of course, is a Chevy driver, and he had another very interesting week, winning Michigan for the third consecutive time. But prior to that, he ran in the Knoxville Nationals at the Sprint Car Capital of the World, Knoxville Raceway in Iowa. Larson won his race on Wednesday night. Then he had to ask the boss, Chip Ganassi, for some permission to race in the Saturday night race. Permission granted, and he would take part in the main event, which was loaded with dirt track stars. It was a great time. Rico Bray was there. Here's Larson. I was questioning myself in the middle of the race there when I see us back in, you know, we had obviously had a, not to like Chad said, we didn't have too good of a start. And, uh, you know, we were, we were sort of mired in the middle of the, you know, top 10 there most of the day or something, but not by any stretch near the front. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had concerns and I was getting ready to take a lot of, uh, you know, take a lot of heat you know, in, in the media for, for that if, you know, if we didn't have a good day. I don't want to do something that's going to slow them down, you know. And uh, I think you, you, you run the risk of that when you have a, you know, when you have a talent like that that, you know, wants to, you know, wants to go drive other kinds of cars and things. I mean, I, I've never been a team owner to keep my drivers from driving other kinds of cars. Uh, but, you know, and, you know, obviously, um, you know, you want to do the best you can for the guy all the time and do what you can do. And I'm just, you know, hopefully we can hopefully we continue to do it. I don't want to make any promises. I was really nervous to ask, but I had already had a good feeling that he was going to let me race, even though he was he was being really tough about it there uh, when I was talking to him. But, um, yeah, I, I think our race team um, – Steve Aletta and the guys there on the marketing side, I think, I think saw the opportunity in front of them uh, with how much exposure I was going to get this week if I could run the Knoxville Nationals. And, um, you know, I think that, that uh, I think Chip also understood that. And um, there's been so much exposure this week behind me. And, and to, to run good in both races will hopefully help us um, in search for uh, a replacement um, sponsor at the end of the year. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've said it a bunch, and, and not only this week, but you know, Chip's the best boss uh, I could ever ask for. <laughs> so he's nervous to ask the boss, Chef, for, for permission, finishes in second place, gets back to the track at 2.45 in the morning and goes off and pulls off the hat trick at Michigan. What kind of position, though, does Chip Ganassi find himself in? He clearly has a racer who desires to do all of these things at the same time who is becoming more and more valuable to what he's trying to do. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I ran into uh... – Ran into him on Sunday morning, and I asked him, like, what time did you get here? And he said, 2.45, not that bad. And I'm thinking, that sounded bad to me. If I was Carl Larson, that sounded bad. But he thought he was going to get there about 3.30. He got there earlier than he thought. So, uh, listen, it's a, it, I think you've got to let him race. I think that, you know, when you have a guy like Kyle Larson that's young and he wants to go race other cars and he's proven that he can do both successfully, successfully I think it's okay. Now, I will say that there will come a time 
when it comes to winning a championship that Kyle needs to focus on what he needs to focus on. And, and if Kyle can do both and that makes him better on Sunday, then it's all good. What, what Chip's got to decide is does what he does on a Saturday night help him on a Sunday afternoon? And if there's ever a question that it doesn't help him, then Saturday nights will cease. Because what you have to do is you have to be successful on Sunday afternoons if you want to, if you want to continue your career. So uh, it's a tough spot for Chip to be in. He wants to let his driver do what he wants to do, but he also knows he has obligations to his cup team. And that's what's most important to Chip, and it should be most important to Chip. So it's a difficult situation. Uh, it hasn't been a problem yet, but you know, if it start if you start to see a decline in performance and those kind of things, then it then they'll have to have a conversation. And you know, to Jeff's point, I, th- I think Jeff's spot on with that. I, you know, to to elaborate some more and give some other examples. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Kyle and Chip have to decide what's right for them and what other people do don't matter. Uh, you've got one example, which is Kyle Busch, which is the extreme example, right? He runs everything. It's not maybe not sprint cars, but he's running trucks. He's running. He's running Xfinity. He's running all that stuff all the time, and he's won one championship. Now, he's, no one's going to question he's not a talented, talented driver. But then you've got on the other side of the coin, you've got Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon, who believe very much the opposite, which is I want all of my focus to be on Sunday. And Jimmy's won seven championships and Jeff won four, not doing anything else, not running sprint cars, not running trucks, not running Xfinity. I mean, that worked out pretty good for him. So, so I'm not saying that that's necessarily Kyle's answer. But, but, but to Jeff's point, like, they've got to find out what matters because at the end of the day, Kyle can spend the rest of his life in sprint cars, but for right now, he needs to go win sprint, or, uh, Monster Energy Cup Series championships. Yeah. Okay, but on the flip side, you bring up a point, that works for Jeff Gordon, that works for Jimmy Johnson. But I think when you look at guys like Kyle Busch, you look at guys like Kyle Larson, they're best when all they're doing is racing when they're focused on racing. When he gets back at 2.45 in the morning, some people might say, oh, how does he go out there and focus? But sometimes guys like him are best, as you know, when you get to the racetrack and you don't even have time to think. You just simply do. You do the act of racing, and that's what makes him so good at jumping in and out of different cars. You absolutely have a good point. And what we'll never know is how many championships Kyle Busch would have won had he not been doing that, or how many championships Jimmy Johnson would have lost or how many more he would have won had he been doing it. We'll never know the answer to that. My point is that there's two sides of that coin, and it's up to the driver and the car owner. Yeah, it's true. We always say Kyle Larson makes these phenomenal moves because he drives all the time, but championships are championships, so there's two sides to it. Um, Listen, no Michigan native has ever won a cup race at Michigan International Speedway, if you can believe that. 97 races and counting. Brad Kozlowski had a great chance, and 21-year-old Eric Jones in the mix as well. So we're going to go ahead and hear from both of them when we come back. NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. A pair of Michigan drivers had good runs in their home state yesterday. Brad Kozlowski started on the pole. He won the first stage, and he led more than half the laps, 105 in all. But he ended up fading at the end. He finished in 17th place. And 21-year-old Eric Jones, also grew up in Michigan, had a good day. He wound up finishing third behind Larson and his teammate Martin Truex Jr. But that's tied for his best finish of the season. Both drivers offered their takeaways after the race. You know, we just didn't have the speed that the, the 77 and the 78 did uh, and, and they got out front and 
So right at the end, we just did what we could to try to make a play, make something happen. And uh, when we did that, uh, we got kind of the bad track position, inside lane on the restarts and all that stuff. And uh, I couldn't couldn't make anything happen. Uh, it's just a real bummer. But uh, uh, the guys left it all out on the racetrack, and I'm proud of that. Did you allow yourself to start thinking this might happen first cup win at home? Yeah, I did for a few few moments, you know, and then the 78 really kind of picked it up there the last uh, last 50 laps or so, and he was really fast. And I think we were kind of in our own league there for a long time, him and I, and we were kind of matching lap times. He'd go faster, I'd go faster. I really think it was going to be whoever was out front was going to win at the end, and unfortunately, um, you know, neither of us uh, neither of us got it done. So it just neither of us really got going great on the last restart. I spun my tires, he spun his, and um, just wasn't what we needed at the end. We saw the crash earlier in the show between Daniel Suarez and Casey Kane as well. So Jones, one of two rookies that really w was in contention on Sunday. Do you think that Eric Jones and I'll put Daniel Suarez in that category as well have a chance to still crash this party, so to speak, with three races left until the playoffs? Yes. And I know when you look at the, the guys who have not won trying to get in the playoffs, maybe one car you'd add in there is Joe Logano. But we've highly publicized the fact that he's on a bit of a downward swing. The two cars, I think, that are the X factor spoiling the playoff party are definitely the 19 of Daniel Suarez and the 77 of Eric Jones. The 77 of Eric Jones, remember, is a teammate to the 78, and some of that's trickling down, and we're starting to see that. And they're also going for the rookie of the year battle. And they find themselves, the regular season points, only nine points apart, and this has become an incredibly tight battle amongst these two. And what's funny about this battle that I've found throughout here is that they raced for the Xfinity Series championship last year, but in this year, in this battle, they, both of them seem to not have a weakness. You thought maybe going to Watkins Glen being a road course, one of them might show a little bit of a not so much prowess on the road course. Well, both of them ran up front. It was incredible to watch. And they just continually find themselves racing against each other and getting better and find themselves at the front of the field. And I think these two have been very impressive, but we've seen, we're going to continue to see them go head-to-head -head for the Rookie of the Year battle and maybe for race wins. What do you think, Brian? I, I totally agree. Look, I mean, I, I think that I mean, they're both really talented rookies. Um, they've got strong teammates to lean on. I think that's really important, especially when you're a rookie. No matter how talented you are, experience matters tremendously. And I think that's why you see guys have such long careers once they reach a certain level in the sport. But when you're a rookie and you have that experience right next door, when you have two or three or four other cars that are running really good, then you can lean on that. And then, then that youth doesn't hurt you as much, and that's kind of the position you are. There's, it wouldn't surprise me one bit for one of these guys to sneak in a win. Jeff, do you think it's more likely that we would see one of these two be in victory lane until the playoffs compared to, say, a Matt Kenseth or a Clint Boyer even? Well, I, listen, I think Matt Kenseth has, has had the speed last month to win races. He's put himself in position to win races. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a total surprise to see one of these guys win. I, I think to me – I think what I see with them is they're going to hate for this year to end because as the year has gone on, they've con continued to develop and they're starting to execute and they're starting to have good finishes along with their periods of good runs throughout the race. So I, I think that when the year ends, they're going to do, I wish that this thing could keep going because their momentum that they would have built is going to stop. And then you start your second year. And for some reason, Second years never seem to work out very well. Sophomore so, slumps, right? Uh, it's real. I don't know why, but it seems to be real. I know there's some examples of it not. But, but seriously, they have, they have shown major improvement as the year has gone on. And, and I just don't think they, they're going to want this year to end because they, they're starting to get the finishes that they deserve. And, and rather than just saying, hey, we ran well, because this, you, you, we've all lived it. You know, that's what you do. You fall back and you say, well, we ran well. Yeah, but you finished 19th. And, and 
they're starting to be able to say we ran well and finished well. And that's the sign of an improving young driver. It absolutely is. And Jeff has a very good point. We talk about it, but there's absolutely something there. Your second year, you struggle. It's almost like you start overthinking it and not overthinking it in a good way, not overthinking like I've got the wisdom and experience to go to know what I need in the race, to know what I need by the end of the race. You just start overthinking everything a little bit and you get hurt a little bit. But then by the year three, that's that's where you really know whether a guy's going to last for a long time. And I think just something to add, why do I have so much confidence in them winning this year? Well, Jeff mentioned it. The, the 20 car's been so fast, it's that they are Joe Gibbs racing equipment basically for both drivers, and those have been some of the fastest cars we've seen through this period of the season. And as we go in the playoffs right now with these three races left, I just feel like they're primed positioned. If they can execute, as you mentioned, they could find themselves victory. Well, we just heard from the other Michigan native, Brad Keselowski, who was very outspoken <laughs> at Michigan over the weekend. Just a so little bit. Coming up, we're going to spend a little bit more time on Brad Kay and the controversial comments uh, that he made from Michigan. He visited our set uh, before Sunday's race, and he certainly wasn't backing down. That conversation next. This weekend, one of the most action-packed of the entire year. NASCAR heads to Thunder Valley Friday night, the Xfinity Series at 7.30 Eastern. And then on Saturday, it is the Bristol Light Race for the Monster Energy Cup Series. That is 7 Eastern on NBC. Ford driver Brad Keselowski made some headlines this weekend when he suggested that Toyota teams wouldn't bring their best stuff to Michigan intentionally in an effort to dial back their jaw-dropping performance as of late. Keselowski made that accusation Friday after winning the poll, and he did not back down when he was with us on Sunday. Well, you know, we're, we're starting to get to the playoff stretch. And, and Kyle, the, the Toyota race car right now is, is a good three to five tenths faster than the other cars. So, um, you know, that's not going to be much of a battle if it, it keeps up the way it's been the last few weeks. It, you know, it takes more than speed to win races, but it's a great place to start. NASCAR uh, typically takes the cars from the field, the best cars from the field, and checks to see where everybody's at performance-wise about three to four times a year. So the whole field knows today that the cars are probably going to be pulled and go through a little bit of extra inspection. That doesn't mean anyone's cheating by any means, but it's a chance for NASCAR to, to level the playing field, see who's where in the development cycles. And so I think everybody knows that. And, and surprisingly, or not surprisingly, the, the Toyotas are now about on the same page with everybody speed-wise. We put a little bit of the rumor out there, and, and candidly, it worked. Uh, if anyone would have done some serious research, the wind tunnel that we would use for this is under construction this week, so it would have been impossible. But. I think uh, most of the rumors in the garage was that NASCAR was going to take the cars, and so you saw some articles out there about who may be sandbagging, who may not be, which yeah, I think is crazy. Um, but the bottom line was, you know, we feel comfortable in, in how we uh, review each of the cars, and we've got a process in place, but we're not going to telegraph, you know, when we would do that at a certain racetrack. So Steve O'Donnell says on SiriusXM this morning that the notion of all of this is crazy. That's the word that he yeah. used. What exactly is Brad Kozlowski trying to accomplish, especially by doubling down on his thoughts, not once but twice? Well, the first comment I don't understand, doubling down, I really don't, especially when you're on the poll, right? Like, that's a, that's a big double down. I mean, I'm curious almost if he signed a personal service agreement with Toyota, because it sounded like, I mean, he was really talking about how great the Toyotas are and how fast they are. I mean, I'm just curious if there's something behind the scenes we're not aware of. I, I mean, I, I just, I really don't, I mean, look, I mean, he, he's trying to play a game, but I, I don't know that he had the right accurate information, and that's a dangerous game to play if you don't have accurate information, which is what Steve O'Donnell was alluding to. And I also don't believe that, look, you, you've got Matt Kenseth on the bubble, 
He's got to win a race. He's got to deliver. I don't believe for a second that Toyota, Matt Kenseth, his crew chief, or Joe Gibbs Racing said to themselves, hey, guys, we better slow the cars down this weekend. <laughs> like, I, that, that's not what they're thinking about. So he's not one for conspiracy theories. But Steve O'Donnell had some interesting comments in and of himself. So well, he admitted a little bit of... Yeah, maybe creating rumor. And I guess this is NASCAR's version of Punk. Ashton Kutcher should have jumped out and be like, hey, Punk, got you. I, I just didn't quite understand that one. I, I guess put a little rumor into the garage to see how they would affect, you know, react a little bit. I, I've never heard that one. And just to go off your comments a little bit about Brad, you know, on the flip side of that, He's kind of taken down his own race team there, Team Penske, because what happened yeah. to, hey, we worked really hard. We have great people at Team Penske, Roush Gates Motors, and we went out there and we won the pole. We brought yeah. two really fast race cars to this racetrack. Instead, it's, oh, no, everyone else slowed down. You know, I just don't, yeah. I don't think that, you know, that that's the right mental state to be in when you're looking at, you know, trying to pump up a team and go race for a championship. And the, the whole thing's a bit bizarre. In it sense. prompted a lot of reaction from Toyota teams. Kyle Busch was outspoken. Cole Pern, Martin Truex Jr.'s crew chief, was outspoken. Uh, here's what he said. I thought we were going to get uh, a, a Frontier Racing Team 1-2. Still 2-3 isn't a bad day for sandbagging, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Jeff, I'll let you have the final word on where you think this whole thing stands. I don't know if I want it. Uh, <laughs> 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 listen, I, I, listen, I, there was a time in NASCAR where if NASCAR believed that you, that a manufacturer had a major advantage and the way they, they, the way they assessed it was what happened on the racetrack, they would come and make an aero change. They cut spoiler off. They take, they would take uh, air dam off the front. They, that's just what they did, but they don't do that anymore. So the thing that I didn't understand was does Brad Keselowski think NASCAR is going to take the cars, go to the wind tunnel, determine that a Toyota is better than a Ford and change the rules midstream. Like, we haven't seen that that's what they do. So I don't know how – I don't understand the, the – the, the, there's a method to, to Brad Keselowski. Like, he's, he's a smart person, and he's politicking for a change. He's politicking saying we don't have the speed that they have. But I have to say – I mean, I, I, I hate saying this, but they had the speed until they got caught at Richmond with whatever they got caught with. And since then, they haven't had the speed. So every race – these cars go back to NASCAR, and they get essentially tore down at the R&D center. The, the tech that they go through isn't really going to go anymore after, if, in this situation. The only thing that could happen would be go to the wind tunnel, find a Toyota has an advantage over a Chevrolet, and then make a change midstream. But I see no evidence NASCAR is willing to do that. The only thing we know that was that in the five races coming into Michigan, Toyota had led 88% of the laps. So I'm sure if you're on the outside looking in, maybe it would prompt some kind of response. Uh, we are going to turn our attention to Bristol, though, when we come back. The last great Coliseum. It's just wild. It's crazy. The night race has an aura when they turn the lights on. It harkens back to the old days. That is the one race if you're going to go to. Go to the first one night race. Just a badass race. It's, uh, Bristol's amazing. Welcome back, everybody. Every year when the NASCAR schedule comes out, a lot of people circle this week's race, the Bristol Night Race, the last great Coliseum, home to the world's fastest half-mile track. Tennessee comes calling I can feel it in my 
here but me has basically experienced the craziness of Bristol on the track so Jeff let's get some thoughts from you what are you looking forward to most about what we're going to have in just a couple days time well first of all there's no excuse of you not being there this weekend this is perhaps the most <laughs> fun race of the, the weekend so we'll see you we'll see you Saturday night you know to <laughs> me on. I, I just I, you gotta be careful Carolyn we'll hold your feet to the fire all right I, continue I think that with three races to go if you look at the races that we have left, it's phenomenal. It's Bristol. It's the throwback race in Darlington. It's Richmond. It's the essence of what NASCAR was built on. Short track racing, old Bristol, old, old Darlington. And it starts Saturday night. And, you know, to me, Bristol is just awesome. And they, they've learned how to use the VHT, PJ1, whatever the heck you call it. <laughs> get that thing on the, get that groove on the bottom working. Make that race an old school, knock them out of the way. It's one of the most fun races you ever watch. The traction compound. Can I tell, tell people I'm going to Darlington? Will you guys, you Jeff, that. will you take that? Um, all right, let's we'll finalize the poll question of the day. The most memorable winner's reaction in the Monster Energy Cup Series this season. Oh, Tony Gibson. Tony Gibson. That was emotional and authentic. Are we all in agree? Yeah. We agree? We don't normally agree with the fans every time, but this time I agree. Yeah, that was good. Jeff, sure. what do you think? you agree? Hundred percent. That's who I voted for. <laughs> they're all they're all so different, but this one was so special and such a great way to cap off a season that has been filled with moment after moment of sure. excitement <laughs> all the way down. Okay, that is all for NASCAR America for now. For all your news, you can always log on to macsports.com slash NASCAR. Nate Ryan and Dustin Long doing good work there. We'll be back Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern. Remember, that's a scan all day, so we'll see you then. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.